Okay, let's go ahead and get started with a word of prayer, if we could, please. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning with great thankfulness in our hearts to be able to come together as the body of Christ. Pray that each saint here would be edified and strengthened by what takes place in this place, and that you would be given glory and honor, for you deserve all our praise and all of our worship. We desire to worship you in spirit and in truth this morning. And Father, we thank you for your scriptures. We ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would illumine our minds and show us the truth and help us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ by what you teach through your scriptures. So we give thanks this morning and we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> This is week number 24 in our study of the book of Daniel, and we're over in chapter 7, and we've been kind of crawling through a couple of the verses here, uh, taking detours over into other parts of the scripture to try and gain an understanding, really, of what Daniel is writing here. Um, we've looked at a lot of different places, mainly into the book of Revelation to see this <clears throat> kind of alarming statements that Daniel makes about the little horn um, overcoming, overpowering really. Um, the, over in chapter 12 it says shattering the saints who have trusted in Jesus Christ. So during this time when the, <clears throat> the horn reigns, um, it's, it's literally hell on earth. I mean, it's uh, the unholy trinity, there's Satan, there's the Antichrist, there is the false prophet, uh, really kind of <clears throat> in an evil way, trying to duplicate what God is in his holiness in the holy trinity. So we've been looking at that and trying to put that together and gain some light on what Daniel writes here. And last week we spend our time in verse 25 of chapter 7, really looking at that <clears throat> phrase, time, times, and half a time, and trying to define what that is. Over in chapter 12, he talks about 1,260 days. We talked about the Jewish calendar being 360 days. We went to Daniel chapter 9 and saw the 70 weeks of Daniel and how that lays out with the coming of Jesus Christ and the Messiah being cut off and makes sense from what the scriptures say there and what we know about the dates when the Israelites were allowed to return to Judah and then when Jesus Christ came trying to put that together, um, there's 69 weeks. If those weeks represent seven days and the days represent a year, and so that's kind of what we were putting together. 70 times 7 is 490 days. You take off one week because that's the way Daniel divides them. Seven weeks, 62 weeks, and then one week. And so you come up with 483 years. And in just a little while, a couple of verses really into chapter 8, maybe when we get to 9, one of those two, if the Lord wills, will lay out 
when the proclamations were made and when Jesus Christ came and was cut off and see that 483 years is probably dead on accurate. And so we'll try and do some of those things a little later on. But um, without going to those other places in the scripture, without going to chapter 9, going to chapter 12, going over to Revelation, you can't really discern what time times and half a time means. I believe it means one plus two plus a half, so three and a half, three and a half years, the last half of the tribulation, because in Daniel chapter nine, he talks about that in the middle of a covenant, um, the one who is to come will wreak havoc. And so that middle of seven years would be three and a half years. And so that's what we've been trying to put together, get an overall view, just understand what the scriptures teach. And you can't do it, as we talked about last week, with just a, a focused view on Daniel. There are too many other places that speak to what Daniel writes about here. Because remember, Daniel was in the 600, 500s uh, AD, 6th century AD, uh, before Christ. And that he didn't have the light that we now have. Matter of fact, he's told that instead of understanding all of this, just live out your days, meaning go ahead and die, and then you'll be resurrected in the time when all this becomes true, and you'll understand better. And so Daniel wasn't supposed to understand everything that he was given, but he was supposed to write it down so that we would have it, and that he was faithful to do. So we're privileged to live in the day we do and to be able to read these things and to see all of the scripture and put it together because the scriptures in many places say this isn't given to confuse us. This is given so that we might understand and so that we might know what's happening and might know what's coming. It says the unbelieving won't know, but you who believe should know. And so that's one of the reasons that we study this and try and put it all together. So this morning, um, the Lord wills, we'll finish chapter 7. So what I'd like to do is just read from 25 down through 28. And then there's some things I want to talk about after we get through with this chapter. So beginning in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, there the scriptures read, he will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the Highest One. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in law. And they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will sit for judgment, and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions will serve and obey him. At this point, the revelation ended. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarming me and my face grew pale, but I kept the matter to myself. So Daniel, this revelation that we've been talking about comes to an end here in this chapter and the he that he's talking about here 
in verses 25 and 26 has been defined in the previous verses as the little horn that grew in appearance and became larger than all the others, the other 10 horns that were on the fourth beast that came out of the sea. So that's the he here who is blaspheming, he's wearing down the saints, he's uh, really overcoming them. And we've looked in several other places in the scripture to see that that is exactly what happens, that there are many people who believe in the Lord Jesus who die during the tribulation, during the three and a half years when this horn um, has control of the earth and really it's hell on earth um, with Satan empowering this little horn to do all that he does to. So he does it under the power of Satan, but yet he does. Remember, we've talked about this. This horn is a man. He has eyes like a man and a mouth like a man because he is a man. And so he's not supernatural, but he's empowered by something that is. But he himself is a man that, and, and all the beasts are people who rise out of the sea, the sea representing all of humanity. And these four beasts that rise up are men that led these, uh, these kingdoms, you know, Nebuchadnezzar uh, for Babylon, and then we have Darius and Cyrus for Persia, and then we have um, Alexander the Great for Greece, and then several leaders of the Roman Empire, Empire who were emperors. And uh, we know some of their names, um, and really most of them from what's been written in history. So as we look at verse 26, we get a picture of what the end game is for all that God has planned for mankind, because he says, but the, um, verse 26, but the court will sit for judgment and his dominion, the dominion of the little horn, will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. So this kingdom, while it's powerful, is led by Satan, it's empowered by Satan, only lasts for a brief period of time. Only lasts for three and a half years, uh, according to what we've been looking at, if you take the interpretation that I've laid out for us. And so this is where all of humanity has been heading for, um, for all of history. There have been men who thought they were devising plans and doing things and overcoming and ruling and, uh, you know, in their imaginations, that was all of their own making. But what we see here in Daniel, that all of this has been orchestrated by God, that he's been sovereignly controlling all that's been happening and that this is the way that it ends, that this dominion of the, um, of the little horn is ultimately destroyed and annihilated. Now, um, we've seen this image of the court. It says there that the, the court will sit for judgment. We saw this previously back in uh, verse where? It's around 10, I believe, yeah. In verse 10 of this same chapter, you remember this, 
that the Ancient of Days comes up and then verse 10 reads, uh, a river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The, the court sat and the books were opened. And so this is the same thing that we saw over in Revelation. So I'm gonna look at that just to, again, get the scene here because this is the end game of what all of history has been pointing toward is this judgment by God. So over in chapter 20 of Revelation, we see something very, very similar. And I believe it's the, it's the same time of what we're talking about here. You begin in chapter 20 of Revelation in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne in him who sat upon it, from whom, whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. So here we get a little bit more definition. Over in Daniel, it just simply says, the court sat and the books were opened. Well, those books contain the deeds of all the people who've ever lived. And this chapter 20 goes on to say that if your name isn't written in the book of life, then you're judged according to what's in the book of deeds. If your name is in the book of life, then Jesus Christ has given you his righteousness and you're no longer judged in the final judgment according to your deeds. You've been saved from that judgment. And that is what, as, as our sins are forgiven, if we place faith in Jesus Christ, that we're saved from is this judgment that comes on the great white throne. Now, and these people wind up being thrown into the lake of fire. Now, there's a, a moment of judgment that comes well before this. And we can see this both in Revelation and in Daniel. I want to show it to you in both of them. In Revelation chapter 19, in verse 20, this is when Jesus Christ comes on a white horse and all the saints come with him. And instead of having a battle, he simply speaks and the, in, uh, the armies of the nations gathered against Israel are destroyed. And then after that, verse 19 of chapter, uh, verse 20 of chapter 19, and the beast, there's that same beast that we've been talking about, was seized and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. And then the scripture here will go on to say, then comes the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ. So before that reign, there is a precursor to the judgment. And that is when the Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. And then a thousand years 
before the final judgment when all the dead are judged. Now, Daniel says this very same thing. If you turn back to chapter 9, 7 of Daniel, you'll see this exact same thing because we have in verse 10 that God is, the Ancient of Days, is sitting on his throne and the books are open. But then you have this precursor here in verses 11 and 12. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. So here, in this final judgment that takes over a thousand years to perform, the very first person who is judged is, in this case, the beast, the single, the 11th horn um, is taken, and then we don't get a mention of the um, false prophet here, but we do get a mention that the horn is thrown into the fire. Same thing that we saw over in Revelation. Then verse 12 interestingly says, as for the rest of the beast, those other three, the other three kingdoms that we talked about, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. That appointed period of time is the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ. Those other dominions still exist. They just have no power. The people of those other dominions still exist during the millennial kingdom, but they have no power. They're all under the kingship of Jesus Christ, but they still are allowed to live. So what you see in Daniel, if you go and look at Revelation and you read what it, you know, the details of what it says, they match one for one with each other. The first thing that happens is that the little horn, the Antichrist, is judged, thrown into the lake of fire. Then the others are allowed to live for a thousand years while Jesus Christ reigns over the earth. And then comes the final judgment when all those people and all those who've ever lived are judged at the great white throne. If your name's not in the book of fire, you join the Antichrist in the lake of fire. If your name is in the book of life, you go into the kingdom of God, which is the next verse that we read in chapter 7 of Daniel. So it all fits together, but you have to take it comprehensively. You can't just read one verse and take it and run where you want to go because all the scriptures complement one another, and they go together. And they all lay out the plan of God. And so you can't just take a verse or take a chapter and make it mean whatever you want it to mean. It has to be congruent with the rest of Scripture. And so I think all this does fit together. Then we get to verse 27 in chapter 7 of Daniel. This is after the little horn has been destroyed and annihilated and the beast, that kingdom, has been destroyed. Then he says, this is the end game that, that God has been leading all of history to. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions 
will serve and obey him. So you see those other dominions still exist. They're serving and obeying God. They have no power. They have no authority, but they still exist. And he makes it very clear they still exist. So this is the extension of life granted to those other beasts. They get to live during the millennial kingdom just without any authority. So the kingdom, <clears throat> meaning really all of the earth, is given to the saints of the highest one. Those are those who believe in Jesus Christ, those who've been saved, those who've been <clears throat> reserved for the kingdom of God. So here it exists on the planet earth. And ultimately it will when the new Jerusalem comes down. But um, Daniel is looking at what happens after the dominion of the little horn is taken away. And that is the millennial reign of Jesus Christ that we saw detailed when we studied Ezekiel. That we saw it being ushered in. It gets ushered in here at the dominion of the fourth beast being destroyed. And so once that happens, the kingdom, place where Jesus rules, which is over all the earth, is given to the saints. Now, what exactly does that mean? Well, again, you run to Revelation to get a little more light. You run to Revelation chapter 5. And at the very beginning, when Jesus comes and takes the scroll from his father's hand, and he begins to break the seals on the scroll, there's this interesting verse that's given in verse 9. These are all the, the saints as Jesus Christ takes the book um, which is given to him so that he can break the seals and take back the earth. In verse 9 it says, this is, this is a scene in heaven. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of, and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. So those who place faith in Jesus Christ, those who look forward to the Messiah and those who look back to the Messiah, here they are said to reign on the earth. This happens during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. This is how the kingdom is given to the saints of the highest one, is that they, you and I, and all those who've ever placed faith in Jesus Christ, come back to the earth to administer the reign of Jesus Christ during the millennial reign. We'll reign with him. Jesus Christ himself will be seated on the throne of David in the city Jerusalem, which we saw in Ezekiel uh, is a few miles away from the temple of God, which is where God the Father dwells. Jesus Christ physically sits on the throne of David in Jerusalem. And so, because he's not everywhere, he's not omnipresent, then the saints reign over the nations with him and administer the reign of Jesus Christ, making sure that the nations not only serve him, but they obey him. This is the, the reign of righteousness, when evil is squelched at any time when it tries to raise, his, raise its head, 
put down with a rod of iron, and that righteousness reigns over the earth for a thousand years. And so you see the same thing that Daniel is saying. He says the kingdom is given to the saints. Revelation says that the saints reign with Jesus Christ. Same thing. These, these books fit together if, you know, when you read the details perfectly. The same thing that Daniel says is the same thing that Revelation says. And so people go to Revelation and they read it out of context and they get all confused and get all upset that nobody can understand this because, you know, it's just, uh, has to be in, translated with metaphors and imagery. And, and then you go read the book of Daniel and Daniel matches perfectly and says the exact same thing. So it's not that confusing if you take all the scriptures in their context and you read them as a whole because they give light one on the other. And we'll see the same thing in chapter 8, that there's more light given there about the abomination of desolation uh, than anywhere else in Scripture, and we'll try and make clarity out of that. So these things are, are laid out in Scripture. Um, this is why we're studying Daniel before we go to Revelation, uh, so that we can get that comprehensive view because if you don't, you'll, you'll be confused and, and you'll get it wrong. But um, by reading all of scripture, things fall into place and they're congruent with one another. They make sense, they say the same thing. So uh, at least that's the way I see Daniel 7 and Revelation matching up. A lot of people would disagree with me um, and not put those two in saying they're the same, but that's the way I see it. Go ahead. You don't or do? Don't. don't disagree with me. That's good man. <laughs> You're talking about, yeah, he, he says that God comes in. That's right. Yeah. I'm going to answer that. I'm going to answer that at the end of chapter 7. Matter of fact, we'll start that. We'll start that today. I won't finish it today, but I'll start it today. And I'm going to answer that in the way that I see it. Okay? Um, I can't answer for you or for other people, but I can answer for me. And so that's what I'll, I'll give you. But we're not there yet. Okay? A couple more things to say about what Daniel wrote here. Um, but you see how the kingdom is given to the saints of God. This is what all of history, all of history has been pointed toward. The time when Jesus Christ comes and takes back what is rightfully his, which is the creation. And he will take it and reign over it and be given glory by all the nations. We saw that many times in Ezekiel that the purpose for what God does in restoring Israel in the land that he originally gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is so that the nations might marvel and might give him glory. That's what it's all been about. And it will happen, and here we see how it happens and who's in control and how this reign happens. So this is what not only the ancient world was pointed toward, this is what today is pointed towards.
and, and we'll take in that answer of how do you see the beast in ancient Rome and current world history, how does that come together in the book of Revelation? Um, it does, and this is what all of history has been pointing towards. And you know, do we have another thousand years to go or 2,000? No one knows. But it seems to be following the plan that has been laid out in scripture and more and more so every day. So we'll talk about that in just a couple of minutes. Now, in verse 28, this vision comes to an end. So this is the vision that Daniel was given, you'll remember, in the first year when Belshazzar was king of Babylon, five years after Nebuchadnezzar has probably died and no longer there. And so Daniel is, don't know if he's still in control, don't know what kind of authority he has, but God gives him this vision. And you remember back in verse one, that what Daniel said, he said, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visioned in, in his mind and he, as he lay on his bed, and he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. So this that we have in Daniel was written immediately after he had this vision. He didn't want to forget anything. He didn't want to forget any of the details. So he wrote it down as soon as he had it in the first year of the reign of Belshazzar. So very old. Daniel probably didn't write the book of Daniel at that time. That probably came later because there's some things that happen later that are included in the book. But this vision, he had already written down. So he just added it to the book. So, but you notice Daniel is, he says, my thoughts were greatly alarming me and my face grew pale. Now, I don't know if you've ever been awakened by a dream. I mean, literally brought awake and it's an alarming dream, so you're trying to figure out, my wife just told me this yesterday or the day before, she had a dream and she had to determine, was, I, was that a dream or was it real? Was I awake? Did it actually happen? Did it not happen? Uh, only, only a couple of times in my life have I ever been awakened by a dream. But I remember one of them very well. And when I woke up, uh, I was sweating my heart was pounding, I was labored in my breath um, because I was very troubled by what I had just dreamt. And um, I had to you know, determine, was that real? Or was that just something that I dreamed? Um, because the place was so vivid and the actions were so vivid, I, I know exactly where that dream took place. I mean, I could drive to it today and I'd have to fly first, then drive, but nevertheless, I could take you to the place where that dream happened, and it didn't end in a good way, which is why I woke up. And I can, that would be minor compared to what Daniel's experiencing here. That's the kind of thing, if, you, if that's ever happened to you, that's where Daniel's at. And you know, all that is just played out in his mind in this vision He's trying to determine, is that real? Did, that really, did I really see that? Was I actually talking to that bystander? What, you know, he's just very, very overwhelmed 
by so much so that it affects him physically, that he grows pale uh, as he thinks about the things that God has just shown him. So very disturbed, very distressed. Um, the th you just think about it. He just saw the saints of God overcome and killed by the Antichrist. That's what he was seeing as he was looking at this vision. So very, very disturbing to him. And, um, you know, we read it today casually, but it was anything but casual to Daniel because he actually saw these things. Um, so he'll have two more visions and the same effect when he sees these other visions. And, and we'll get to those. Chapter 8 is one of those. And then beginning in chapter 9 through 12, it, well, actually, yeah, into 12, is another vision that Daniel will have. So um, that's the end of his vision. The, all the, and all of history from the time when he lived to the very end when Jesus Christ reigns has been given to him in this vision. So, um, you know, he's writing in the 500s, and then he goes all the way till beyond 2021 when, in what he sees, at least seven years beyond 2021, right? So um, all of history has been laid out for him, and he's, he's seen it. Now, the way that I look at this and the way that I interpret Revelation and the way that I put Daniel and Revelation together and that this fourth beast that we see in Daniel is the same beast that we see in Revelation at the end of times, that interpretation and that putting that together demands an answer to the question of how could that beast exist in ancient days and then at the end of the times. How, how can you reconcile that and put it together? Because that's what I'm saying. So there has to be a way to explain that. Because we're talking about a Roman empire that existed when Jesus Christ walked the earth. And yet here I'm saying it's the same beast that exists in the future during the tribulation days. How could that be? Because Rome is no longer what Rome was. Okay. Not going to get through all this today, okay? I'll, pro I'll just say that up front. What I'm going to do is get through part of it, and then next week we'll pick it up and finish all the way up until World War I and show you how I put these things together. But today, we'll start with the Roman Empire. Now, we won't go all the way back to what the mythology says, which is that Rome first existed in 753 BC when there was Romulus and Remus, the sons of Zeus, who founded, not both of them, but Romulus founded Rome. We're not gonna deal with all that, okay? Because there's all kinds of things about that that we just won't deal with. Where we'll pick up is with what we know is true in 146 BC. In 146 BC, Rome 
defeated the powers that were in Macedonia and took the Macedonia Peninsula and made it a province of Rome. That's really the beginning of the Roman kingdom. That's really when they began to rule over things other than just Rome itself. Okay, so 146 BC, the Greek peninsula fell and Macedonia became a province of Rome. And then they began to expand their kingdom. And for the next, well, you see, I mean, scripture shows us that by the time you get to Jesus Christ, you know, roughly 160 or 70 years later, that they've taken all the land all the way down to Palestine because Palestine is a, is a Roman province. Um, there are Roman leaders there. When we see Herod reigning over the city of Jerusalem and you know, rebuilding or expanding the temple, building his own palace there, all the things, it's very clear in the scriptures that Rome is in control when Jesus Christ has his ministry. So we see that they've pushed all the way down to Palestine. Now it's a long way from the Macedonian Peninsula all the way down to Palestine. So all the lands in between there, which today would be um, Jordan and Syria and Lebanon and all of Turkey, all of those lands are also part of the Roman kingdom by the time Jesus Christ walks through the earth. And so at the fullness of time, the scripture says, he came so that he might be executed by the Romans on a cross. So we see that part of the history and the expansion of the Roman kingdom. But the Roman kingdom continues to expand after Jesus Christ until ultimately probably their, their highest point was um, in 120 or 130 AD, what today men call the CE, the Common Era, um, that Rome was at its height. And by that time, Rome had all of Europe, it had Britain as part of its provinces, had all of Northern Africa along the Mediterranean Sea, had everything on the eastern coast of the, of the Mediterranean Sea, had Egypt as part of it, certainly all of Palestine, had all of the Mesopotamia, all the way down to the Persian Gulf, which is prominent in today's. So they had the city of Babylon, would have been in the Greek kingdom. So they had all that territory most of the territory that Alexander the Great had ever conquered, plus more. Um, there's a, there is some of the Greek kingdom that they never took, which is the Seleucid Empire that becomes very prominent later. Um, but most of those lands that Alexander the Great took, Rome ultimately took and took them as their own provinces. So this great expansion of the kingdom of Rome. Now, to such a degree that in 330 AD, Emperor Constantine, Constantine the Great, 
moved the capital city of the Roman Empire from Rome to, con to a city called Byzantium that he renamed Constantinople that is today Istanbul, all the same city. So Byzantium is what it was, changed to Constantinople, later changed to Istanbul. And all of those are significant and play into the way that I interpret this. Okay, so in 330, Constantine moved the capital of the Roman Empire to Constantinople. Okay, in the years that followed, many of the Germanic tribes and other tribes out of Spain, out of England, would raid and pillage the city of Rome. And it happened over and over and over again. Ultimately, Rome was burned to the ground and fell. It didn't happen for ultimately. I mean, there, it was in decline from the time when Constantine left. It began to decline. And their authority over those other areas to the west of Rome began to decline significantly. So that's what's known as the Western Roman Empire. Byzantium and the lands to the east are known as the Eastern Roman Empire. So the Roman Empire was basically split. That Western Empire of Rome ultimately fell and was no longer part of the um, Roman Empire. It fell in 476 AD. Rome was no longer its own individual um, authority. Totally gone. So 150 years after Constantine moved the capital out of Rome, no longer is there a Western Roman Empire. You've got the various tribes from the different lands in Europe reigning over their own territories that ultimately become Spain, become Germany, become France, become Britain, um, but not for many years. And so the, when you look at the Roman Empire, what you have to realize is that the West fell, the East did not. What most people call the Byzantine Empire, others call it the Eastern Roman Empire, existed for another thousand years, all the way down to 453 AD. Byzantium reigned from the city of Constantinople. So when you look at the Roman Empire, 1,500 years in its entirety, for a thousand of those years, Western Rome did not, the Roman Empire did not exist. But the Eastern exists for another thousand years. Okay, that's very, very important. And also to understand that when he first moved the capital to Constantinople, they owned all those lands that I talked about. All, all the Mesopotamia, all the way down to the Persian Gulf. Ultimately, they would lose some of that land through the years. And, but to start with, all of that was part of the kingdom of Rome. Okay, so then we have to talk about the Byzantium Empire 
and what comes after it and what happens to those lands. And that's where we'll pick up next time. So we've got the eastern or the western part of the Roman Empire falling in 450, 453 uh, AD and, or 476, and the Eastern Empire still going on all the way to 1453. Not that long ago when you think about it. Okay, so that's where we'll pick up next time is talking about that Eastern Empire and what happened to it. And how does that fit to the beast that was Rome? Because I believe that when, Con when Constantinople became the capital, that's the empire that we're talking about that crucified Jesus Christ. It's the same empire. It's the same people. It's the same legal system. It's the same cultural system. Everything's the same. It's just no longer in Rome. It's in Constantinople. And so, and that goes on for another thousand years. So I think that's significant. And most of the people who believe that Revelation is showing a resurrection of the Roman Empire in Europe ignore that Byzantium, the Byzantine Empire, went on for another thousand years. And they don't take that into account. Yeah, they're Eurocentric. I'm not. I'm just telling you. Okay, what I will be, you'll see that what I'm centered on is the city of Constantinople, Byzant Byzantinium, that became Constantinople, that today is Istanbul. Those things are very significant. So we'll pick up there next week and explain some more of it. Um, really outside of scripture, but again, the interpretation that the beast in Daniel is the same beast in Revelation demands an explanation. And so you have to be able to give one. So that's what I'm gonna to give to you. So thanks for your time.